Warning, spoilers ahead. Spoilers for Space 1999 from joining us we gather once a month to discuss retro and sci-fi horror tv um we are back after a six month hiatus due to the loss of our friend and co-host chris my name is allison with me tonight are andy hello and drew hello we're excited to make our comeback with a discussion of the excellent sci-fi television series space 1999 1999 uh, ran originally from 1975 through uh, 1977. There were two seasons. Its main stars were Martin Landau and Barbara Bain, and it was a Jerry and Sylvia Anderson production. Yeah, quite a joint. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, do you guys want to just get into a general discussion of our impressions of the show, watching it, and... Um, yeah. I should mention before we get into it, we're going to cover two episodes from the first season. Um, we might revisit the show later on and do the second season or some later first season episodes because this is a pretty good show. Spoilers, we liked it. Yes. Um, yeah, lots of we, spoilers ahead. We are um, going, yeah, full in depth with these episodes. If you're into 70s space odysseys and miniatures and explosions in space oh, so and many <laughs> crazy life forms from different planets uh stop listening to us now go at least watch the first two episodes because that's what we're going to be talking about because you won't want to have it spoiled if you're into this epic type of stuff <laughs> go watch it um you can find it on shout t factory tv yeah shout factory tv um or you can buy the dvd or it yeah, used to be well, streaming on Prime. Now only both, season two. Both is. season, both seasons were on Amazon Prime for a while, which is um, 
where we were watching most of the episodes, um, Drew and I started watching it independently, and then we we told Andy, you know, this is a fun show, so we want to cover it and, mm-hmm. and take a look mm-hmm. at it. And Drew and I were like halfway through season one, I think originally. Yeah. Um, and uh, when we checked most recently, uh, Shout Factory TV. I think somehow got the rights to just the first season. So if you want to see the first season, which I recommend you start out with that, if you're going to check this out, you can do a seven day trial through Amazon prime. And then if you have a prime membership and you want to continue on with the show, you can watch the complete second season also, but you could easily binge that first season. I think in oh, that seven, seven day days, trial. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so that's, that's something you can do. And it's 24 episodes. It is available. Um, Shout Factory also put out a, a Blu-ray and DVD set. So if you end up really liking it or you've already are familiar with the show and you're wanting to acquire it to own physically for your home library, you can get either the Blu-ray or the DVD set. It is a little bit pricey, but, you know, I think sometimes it's worth it if we really love a show to preserve in your own personal archive yeah i was looking at the dvd and it was selling like a brand new dvd for this was selling for like four hundred dollars for both seasons well no shout factory if you go directly to their website oh um, okay and we're not like getting sponsored by them or anything this is just you know they're affiliated with this show now they put out all kinds of great releases though i have to say shout factory is pretty good but they um they if you go directly to their website you can get the blu-ray release it's about eighty dollars for the complete series on blu-ray or you can get the dvd set for about fifty oh that's not five i want to say yeah yeah so i'm not sure if that includes shipping so yeah you guys will have to investigate that on your own but anyway, yeah, so um, one of the things that I learned while researching this is that uh, Jerry and Sylvia Anderson were famous mostly for their technique of super, super marionation, which they used most famously for the show Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds yeah. which, are go. The, this yeah. show has some heavy Thunderbird vibes with the miniature work. Such um, good miniature work. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's like if Thunderbirds were real, mm-hmm. you know? Because mm-hmm. a Thunderbird Super Marionation is like really good uh, wires and, you know, stuff uh, animating, but with toys, yeah. you know? They look like toys. And in this, they don't look like toys. Like they're straight up upscale towards star wars level mm-hmm. and you know star wars reference will get into the star wars <laughs> connections at some point they are plentiful yeah um yeah this this series also has connections to um uh space uh 2001 a space odyssey i keep wanting to put the space in front of 2001 <laughs> because of space 1999 space 2001 odyssey. yeah um right. Uh, just based on connections with some of the people who worked on this, worked on some other things, and also mm-hmm. Alien, right. I believe, and, alien. and aliens, yeah. and aliens. Yeah. So and space truckers. Space truckers. Oh, lest we forget space truckers. A- so we're talking about um, uh, Brian Johnson was his name, right? Uh, yes, Brian Johnson was their head of special effects for this series, and I think he also worked with them on a few other series as right. well. And he went on to do work for both um, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back specifically, um, and uh, also for Alien and Aliens. Right. They tried to get him for the original A New Hope, but he was dedicated to this show (laughs) and couldn't leave. With good reason. Right. Well, and And also, you know, if you're already in the middle of a project and Star Wars is an unknown quantity, it hasn't become capital 
you know, SW Star Wars, right. you know, in a galaxy far, far away. No one knew what it was going to be, you know. Right. And then the funny thing is, is that when Empire Strikes Back came along, he was currently working on Alien. <laughs> And was like, well, screw this alien show. I'm going to go work for Star Wars because they're going to make big money. Mm -hmm. And so he left the rest of Alien up to his assistant. And then he had to share a Oscar, I believe it was, with his assistant. Oh, like for best effects or something? So, yeah, for, for visual effects. Hmm. You know, that just sounds like... Just like a, a buffet of good choices. Like, yeah. do I want to work on movie A or movie B? And they're both amazing, and they're both classics now, and they're both well, they were both very successful. Well, this way he technically worked on both. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like we were saying, they the special effects. This had a really large budget. I think you guys were saying that it was the largest budget of any British. Uh, television yeah, like uh, sci-fi television up to that way? point it, it was the most expensive sci-fi show on british tv and i crunched the numbers on it for a little comparison yeah uh in 2020 dollars um and this is co- very fuzzy math so you know don't don't go back and correct me on this but it cost roughly um five hundred and twenty thousand dollars per episode in 2020 dollars um, which is pretty high. Um, for comparison, I yeah. looked at uh, the original Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. The original Star Trek series in twenty twenty dollars cost about one point four million per episode. Um, so it was up there. Not. And you can tell that. It, I mean, I'm not saying it's like you can tell it was an expensive show, but it looks good. It yeah. really looks like they put a lot of time and detail. Like Drew was saying, the miniatures are excellent. The way they're shot is really beautifully shot. The indoor sets look great it's an immersive yeah set. it looks right. it, it looks very much like you would think a, a 70s version of a moon base would look i sure. love 70s space too i've just yeah. i just gotta say like that whole idea or kind of like um if you've ever been to disneyland you go in like the queue for space mountain kind of looks like this mm-hmm. and um definitely there's there's tones of you can you can see remnants of the influence of the original Star Trek series, but there's also this 2001 a Space Odyssey where things are really white and kind of abstract shapes. And, mm-hmm. and I just, I love that. And that's definitely evident in Star Wars as well in the, in the first three films. Oh, and, yeah. And I don't know if it's just because I was the right age that that just imprinted on me, but yeah. I can't get enough of that style. Well, and like on this particular show, Space 1999, um... Their set design is so great because their set designs, they actually will have shots where you'll flow from one set into another. Mm -hmm. Like, you'll be able to see a set in the background. And it's, like, so brings you into it because, like, on Star Trek, the original, as much as I love it, anytime they were in a room, they were in that box, you know? And if the door opened, there was a wall just two feet past that right. door because it was either a uh, quote unquote uh, like a, a elevator lift or mm. it was a hallway. Yeah, just a you hallway never in saw the a room next to a room, so it always gave you just the feeling of everything's car- car- compartmentalized into little boxes on that ship. Mm-hmm. And this moon base. Not so much. No, and it, it it felt roomy, too. There was lots of space, lots of wide shots of stuff happening. 
Um, it, it it gave a very um, kind of mission control, if you've ever seen the movie Apollo 13. Right. The main yeah. room in Apollo 13 looks a lot like the main room in this. Right. Um, it's It's got a real good spacey vibe. Um, well, and you gotta think that there's, there's probably an influence there, too, because the space program really expanded in the 70s because of a successful moonwalk you know Mm -hmm. like there was all this energy behind it and they were developing the space shuttles that would go up into space throughout you know the 80s and and so there's just sort of this um i guess i maybe associate sort of a an optimism with space it seems less dark and threatening especially with the wide open spaces on a space base Mm -hmm. which probably aren't that practical like if you look at um photos from the space st- station and the living quarters oh, people yeah, it's live in it's, it does there. it's not sure. romantic like no. you know it's well, not a star wars like, set those are spaceships though sure yeah. and i guess we should we probably, don't have anything like this though, we should probably but... get into what the show's about <laughs> <We will>. um <laughs> And they're on a moon base, so it's like it's grounded on the moon, so therefore you kind of can expand a little bit more. You got room to to spread out right, on right. your moon base. Well, I, I moon I don't, base alpha. I don't moon know because alpha. we don't we don't have one yet. You know, right. I think I think that's a likelihood in the future. Right. You know, but but I think I don't know. I mean, how much energy does it take to create livable conditions? for that much more that space. Like space. I kind of wonder if they're going to be more economical in the future when they do design things and make it kind of confined like the current space station just because it, it it takes more energy to make that space livable. And if mm-hmm. you have wasted space by having high ceilings and wide True, rooms yeah. and you don't have that many um, you know, researchers or astronauts living there, then I don't know. I yeah. think I don't think it's gonna at least the first forays i don't think are going to be as cool looking as anything we've ever seen on tv or film well and actually um a lot of a lot of what is projected to happen for people that want to build stuff on the moon Mm -hmm. is probably going to be underground because the the moon does not have an atmosphere or a magnetosphere like the earth does uh so you're exposed to cosmic radiation while you're out there so you want to build underground so you don't get constantly bombarded by all these cosmic particles radiation and also actual just you know space particles that are physically you know making dents oh yeah the surface asteroids of the moon and stuff constantly yeah no that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. well once we finally get to the year 1999 we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out this yeah. will happen or right, not exactly. the far-flung future so yeah this show is based in the far future of 1999 oh. um is it the year after escape from new york <laughs> <laughs> pretty much um, so then they are on a moon base and they have, it starts off, if you're not knowing what's going on, it starts off in a completely different direction than you think it's going to go because they, uh, announced that they found this planet out there that earthlings could maybe inhabit and it's the planet Meta and they're going to try should and discover this. That this is all basically... Like, the premise for the show is what's laid out in the first episode, and um, the first episode is called Breakaway, and it originally aired September 4th, 1975. So, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, I just thought we should explain that this, like, not only is it kind of an an overview of what the story is, just like in Star Trek, where it's 
you know, you have the Enterprise and it's on a mission to explore new worlds. Right. Like, this, this wasn't, where this goes isn't the intentional mission of no. Moonbase Alpha, but, right. but it sets up the plot. Yeah, completely caught off guard by the direction that the show took. Right, because right? I almost yeah. spoiled it to you yeah. before starting. I realized, <laughs> wait, I can't tell Andy that the moon, like... <laughs> What happens, because that just ruins the whole experience. So anyways, they're on this moon base, and they find out that there's this planet that they should go find, the planet Meta, and... Because, I don't know, there's problems on Earth. They don't talk about that <laughs> yeah. too much. Earth is not the focus Earth of is show. not a problem yeah. here. We're on Moon Base Alpha, damn it. Well, Moon's about, or Earth's about to have some problems. Yeah, so we're going to get to that. And so, Moon Base Alpha, they're just going about their daily chores of uh, putting away and storing nuclear radiation waste from Earth. Yeah, all, all of the nuclear waste from Earth has apparently been shipped up to the moon and and stored underground and on like a daily basis too. yeah because apparently because <laughs> literally they try and like halt the operation for a minute and everyone's like they're freaking out on earth you need to take our <laughs> nuclear radiation we're just we're generating it by the ton down Wait, here which, to which i said which i said when we were watching when we were re-watching the first episode i said you know you know whatever you feel about like the current state of affairs in the world at least we're not generating so much nuclear waste that we have to store it on the moon <laughs> shipping it out at least at least 1999 didn't look like that sure I mean, and so <laughs> they're putting the the glow juice up on the moon because the glow juice because uh that's the best place to put it and moon base alpha is where they do all their bases operations there and people start coming down with the moon madness <laughs> Yeah, it, ca- it causes their eyes to get kind of milky. They, they get instant and... cataracts, and then they go and have to kill people. They get they get crazy strength. They start wrecking everything up. One mm-hmm. guy, he, he takes his helmet, and he starts bashing at a window on the oh, moon. Oh, yeah. It's not yeah. a good time. I feel like radiation exposure would actually cause an opposite reaction of, you know, you wouldn't have a ton of energy. I think you're immediately getting really just sick. Well, that's why they try and figure out if it's radiation. They say, well, no, none of these people have been irradiated. It turns out it's magnets. It's magnets. <laughs> the, the, this show... How do they work? Th- this might be <laughs> a small cross-section of the episodes that we that we watched, but two out of the three episodes that we saw, magnetic fields played a role in them. So it's, it, we're not it's, talking it, about the band. No. <laughs> this, this show likes its magnetics. So yeah, there's uh, some magnetic polarity problems on the moon, and they're reacting with the nuclear waste... And the two together are creating moon madness in people. And then the moon madness is making them rage out and hulk all over the place yep. and break things. And breaking things is not a good idea when you're in nuclear waste management. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On the moon. <laughs> On the moon. And, and so the, this sort of ramps up. You know, more and more people keep dying. They're trying to figure out what's going on, and energy is building to a level that's problematic mm. from all of the the waste holdings. So, basically, we get to a point where um, there's a bunch of explosions. Yeah, well, they figure out that they have a problem with the original nuclear site that's already been filled over and they said oh that was perfectly fine and it's mm-hmm, done mm-hmm. never need to look at it again 
And then they say, well, if that one has this problem and things are exploding there, we should go check out the current site. And then lo and behold, that one's got magnet issues too. So they try to fix it and then fixing it, they blow it all up. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's spectacularly. They just, everything goes. It new. goes, yeah. They Sorry. blow up ev- all the <laughs> nuclear waste, which I'm not sure that's how nuclear waste works. No. I really, I'm pretty sure there's, that is absolutely not how nuclear waste works. There's a lot of fuzzy science in this episode, but it's okay. Oh, this whole you know. series is nothing but fuzzy science. Yeah. So they, they blow up the nuclear waste holding facility, which I'm guessing, and they definitely didn't get into details, is a long tube going down into the middle of the moon because it creates a rocket motor yeah it, mm-hmm. cr- it creates a giant nuclear rocket motor which propels the moon out of the earth's orbit and so. no longer being held by the earth's gravitational pull the moon now is jettisoning off that's <laughs> on its own journey yeah. the moon is now on a mission to explore new worlds that's <laughs> Oh, and the moon has now essentially became the USS Enterprise. Yeah. It <laughs> They're is. just, well, a little bit more, um, was it Voyager that was like lost? Yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Moon, so it's a little more like, like Star driven. Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. The moon's just going where it goes. <laughs> it's just going one direction. So, so while in the midst of all of this, we're introduced to our main characters, one of which is, uh, John, uh, Koenig? I'm just sorry. Koenig. 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 I was just yeah. like, I wasn't paying attention to names. I was just looking at all the things that were happening. And, uh, but he's played by Martin Landau. Yeah. And he, um, he is a new commander. And basically all this happens on his first day. Like yeah. he shows up <laughs> and then all of this happens. Yeah. He basically shows up to fix the, the moon madness problem and get him back on track so they can go to the planet meta. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's funny because in the midst of this, before the full explosion and out of orbit event happens, he's negotiating with other leaders about, well, stop sending us nuclear waste and we can make this mission a priority, but we can't do both. You know, Mm. he's like trying to reason with them. And then after the moon is off on its the beginnings of its journey, it's still for a little while able to pick up a television signal from Earth. And so we're treated to a, a newscast, a news broadcast from Earth describing what the Earth is going through and how... <laughs> now that there's no moon. Yeah. yeah, and, and you know, so terrible things, although I feel like they would be more terrible than what they're actually describing. Oh, but yeah. they're right. like, you know, lots of earthquakes are happening and... Um, Mainly just earthquakes. Yeah, they were talking about earthquakes and then volcanoes, and volcanoes. triggered by the earthquakes. But mm-hmm. then you're also gonna lose your whole tidal movement. Yeah, tides would lose. cease to exist. Well, I also think it would affect just all life forms because you know if the gravitation of the moon is affecting the tides, and we're all mostly made of water. Mm-hmm. I feel like I mean it's not like we have a tidal flow within us, but right. I think. I think it would cause some some craziness and possibly some health problems for people, in addition oh, yeah. to all of the land issues happening. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's a fun, interesting news broadcast, and, and they are speculating, you know, can we rescue these 300-plus people on Moonbase Alpha? Are they even alive? You know, they can't... They're drifting further and further away from Earth. There's no way to communicate back with Earth. Apparently, 
Yeah. I, mean, um, the... I would think if you're still picking up the television signal, you could send at least one message before you get too far out of range to explain right. what's happening. Like, well, we're going out into, you know, deep space. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, if... I mean, maybe their antenna got blown up or something. So That's they possible. They can't transmit. We got <laughs> to see a lot of explosions of lots of models, I, and they, it was great. They, they wreck up the moon base so much. And I have to say, during the explosion scenes, the actors are, like, getting just tossed around, and anybody who's ever watched original Star Trek, there's kind of the jokes about how everybody has to, like, brace themselves for, like, battle scenes or mm -hmm. collision scenes or whatever on the Enterprise. And this takes that to a whole nother level because everybody's knocked to the ground and there's sudden G-force while the earth or while the moon is jettisoning away mm -hmm. from the earth. And then it finally slows down and starts to get to a point where everybody can get back up. But it's it's over the top. I feel like William Shatner would be envious of yeah, some of the physical Yeah, there's people jumping all acting. over the place. It's great. Right, yeah. Well, and I was kind of likening it to the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, simply Galactica, where they say on that newscast, like 300, I forget what, I think it was like 311 or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's our number. Yeah. And, um, that's what we're starting with. Anyway. <laughs> and because Alice and I have watched quite a few episodes, like I, I was just thinking like, there's no way there would, they're running out of people. Yeah. Like, cause they kill people constantly. <laughs> Um, not not in every not in this episode, but in every episode, there's, there's some kind like of casualty to both the base and the population. Explosions mm -hmm. and different things that are killing people off, and we did just to try and figure out a few things we read. We watched one episode into season two, and in season two. They say, like, oh, we have 300 people aboard this vessel. <laughs> and it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> it's just there's just no impossible. way there's still 300. Right. Unless there's some point towards the end of the first season, which we haven't finished yet, that they pick up a couple hundred people. Mm -hmm. Stranded earthlings out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, someplace. Which could happen. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. And I have to admit, for all the, all the kind of... Uh, goofier sides of the stuff that we've been seeing. There's there's some interesting camera techniques done. They um they use slowed down footage for the moonwalk scenes when people yeah. are messing around before the explosion happens. Um, they I think they, they were using wires too for the moon jumping. Sure, right. Yeah. This doesn't go inside the base. Inside the base, you'd still have low gravity, but you know you don't have the budget for that. Um, but all of the moonwalk scenes were pretty pretty well done, I thought. It looks good. It's a testament to pra practical effects, you mm -hmm. know. It really it, is. It looks it looks good. And I as a as a watcher of Star Trek, I really appreciated in this show that everybody had space appropriate attire on. Like when they get in the shuttle yeah. to pilot the shuttle in outer space, they put a like a spacesuit on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're not just riding around in, in their little Star <laughs> Trek uniform. That'll Which be fine. I noticed they did, though, in the second season of the episode oh. we watched. They were just like, they put on flight, like, jackets mm -hmm. well we'll get it we'll get into a little bit a about the second thing, season because yeah. yeah. there's there's some some marked differences from season one to season two and we'll get into why that is yeah. um and what so, some of those differences are so yeah. yeah in that first episode we basically we we deal with a lot of moon madness that we can't understand and we find out that the moon madness is caused by magnets because insane clown posse was there 
<laughs> they, if you don't get that reference, just work? look up Insane Clown Posse and, and Magnets. It's hilarious. Yeah, or you look up the video for Miracles. Yeah, Miracles. Anyways, yeah. um, and so then <laughs> they, they blow up the moon and they, they uh, at the very end of that first episode, uh, they end it with, you know, they've given up on trying to get back to Earth because Martin Landau's character thought it over and he realized there's no way in hell they're getting back to Earth, so they might as well just hang out on the moon and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as he's just like, everything's so serendipitous in the show. <laughs> it's like one thing after another literally just leads into the next. There's no downtime. Uh, they look at a screen and they're like, what's on this screen? Where are we heading? Oh, it's meta. <laughs> well, and they they consult the the base computer for probability of you know can we make this work? Can this happen? And it just lists off a bunch of reasons why they won't survive, basically, <laughs> and then just says like human input needed or something on the final final screen or human decision. I can't remember exactly what it was. I'll right. have to look for a screenshot. Basically later. the computer gives you the statistics and then says, Alright, what do you want to do? Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. You know? And then Gotta it, have that little bit of human element still. It jumps pretty quickly, like, into kind of a monster of the week format after that first Right. First episode. Yeah, because episode two, you could have that be a year later. It could be five years later. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no thing that, like, they're like, ah, now that we survived that moon explosion. <laughs> right. I think they actually do mention that at some point in the episode, but it's kind of like an afterthought. And it's straight into... Uh, what was the name of the guy? Ian oh, McShane. Well, so before we before we get into the second episode that we watched that we're going to talk about, I just wanted to mention, um, so basically if you're new to the show and you want to check it out, I would recommend you definitely want to watch the first episode so you understand the background of the story. But if you don't have time to say binge the whole first season um, and you want to jump around, you could. You could definitely watch just a couple seasons that the description appeals to you if that's the way you want to do it because um, like going from season two to season four they might have a brief conversation about something that happened but generally it it kind of follows like a monster of the week format or alien of the week or dilemma of the week however you want to call it they're they're standalone stories with just the overall premise that they're constantly traveling on the moon and they have no control over where they're going right yeah um so again, um, kind of like Star Trek in that sense. And they, if space. if you're like a purist about wanting to watch things in order, they aired differently. The order was different from when it was broadcast in the U.S. versus the U.K. I think the Shout Factory um, streaming has them in U.K. broadcast order. Um, you can also look that up on Wikipedia. They have that listed, how it originally aired in the UK. Hmm. If you're like really into the details and you want to see it the way it was and you're a purist, that's... The way it was intended. Yeah, just, you know, (laughs) just for your information. So the second episode, um, which we watched as well, it was called Force of Life. And it's, you know, takes place immediately, I'm assuming, after the events. Although, it seems like they're kind of a little more settled. Yeah, I feel like it could be like a week later. Into their journey. Possibly even up to a month later. 
whatever it is, it's the next big thing that happens on Moonbase Alpha. Yes, all So quiet. basically, there was an explosion, they're launched into space, and then we don't hear from them, and then insanity ensues so yes. this is the episode we we this episode centers around a man named anton who works on the base and he is played by ian mcshane who i personally am a big fan of ian mcshane and people might be familiar with his work he was on deadwood and more recently american gods but he's been acting since he was very young he mm -hmm. um did a film that we still want to see uh, when he was young with Haley Mills called Gypsy Girl. And uh, he's in a movie that I really like a lot called The Last of Sheila, where he's about the age that he is in this. Hmm. And so, I don't know, I always just get a kick out of it whenever I see Ian McShane and things. But I, I did adore him as Al Swearingen on Deadwood. <laughs> yeah, he's so great. He's, he's the the guest star of this show. Does anybody want to go into what happens to him? Wanna... Um. Sure. I, I, I was doing some research in the midst of this show, but okay. as, as far as I could tell, there was a space entity, which was uh, represented by a glowing blue orb right. yeah. that comes through. They don't through. necessarily explain the... They don't. It, ju it just sort of shows up. Well, I don't um, think anybody in the story knows. No. And it, uh, it takes possession of Ian McShane's body and causes him to have a, a different kind of deep space madness. Uh, he... Um, the, the, the first encounter he has with it, he turns kind of a magenta color mm -hmm. um, and attacks his co-worker, who he freezes. Um, the co-worker is killed instantly and is covered with frost and ice, and Ian McShane freaks out and flees the scene. Um, and that's that's our kind of setup for the episode. It's like the first two minutes of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> right. And he does take a visit to... He isn't... I don't think he's aware of what's happening in the beginning. Right. He no. just kind of is out of it and it's like oh this guy's dead you know what, what's going on i think he blacks out during it yeah. and um and it and the ship's doctor who's a major character and kind of you know the the co-star of the series played by barbara barbara bain who, martin landau's wife martin landau's wife also you would know her from mission impossible as well as martin landau and mm -hmm. she Oh, gosh, I had some other things written down that she did. But that was, like, the main thing people are going to probably remember her from other than this. Hmm. Um, but she plays the ship's doctor, and, and uh, her name's Helena, and um, she kind of has this relationship, the classic doctor versus captain butting heads. They're both, you know, trying to get advice from each other. Sometimes they have different points of view, and that's a dynamic that's replicated here between her and Martin Lando's character. Hmm. But she's trying to figure out what's wrong with him, and then, you know, people are suddenly dying, and they're showing up frozen. Yes. And then power drains keep happening around the base, and so they're not really connecting the two for a while. So it just sort of becomes kind of like, um, almost a little bit like a slasher, but less gory, where people are just getting picked oh, off, totally. you know? Yeah. Although, I have to say this, I was impressed with this show, because in 1975, this show was not afraid to show blood on no, TV. No, yeah. Are there people with, you know, getting cuts across their head, you know? Nothing like limbs getting chopped off or anything. But, uh, it, it and, and there's a lot of skin in the show, too. This episode, we see, um... Ian McShane's girlfriend, and she's like getting out of a shower with a towel on. And I was like, "Wow, that's that's a little risque for 1975." Sure. That was a British show too, though. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> D different time, different place. Right. I guess. They also have a scene in this one in a the solarium, because of course you have to have a room on the moon base to go tanning. Yeah. And I like be that. Able to wear your bikini. 
Well, actually, that makes sense, though, because you would be deprived of certain, you know, sure. UV exposure. But in, like, an actual realistic situation, they probably <laughs> just have, like, a UV light that's in your bedroom that you can, like, sure. put over your bed and or lay like down. Or, like, pods. Right. Yeah. They wouldn't have a tanning bed amongst some palm trees. <laughs> but good on them for having but that. But yeah. if they did, I'd be more inclined to actually go to a moon base. True, true. <laughs> Yep, definitely. If they made the moon base look more like Club Med, mm -hmm. I'd be down. I don't, know, I don't think they're going to make the moon base look like Club Med. The moon base has some pretty neat stuff going on in it, though. It's they, As opposed to automatic doors, the doors in the moon base appear to be remote controlled. Mm -hmm. And the little remote that controls them is, an, is a, a, a wonderful little prop that has... Drew was saying an, a real one-and-a-half-inch TV screen in it. Yeah, so apparently Panasonic at the time, had a one-and-a-half-inch portable TV that they were making. Yeah, and this, and this, this so isn't the, like an LED or anything. This is a CRT screen. Right, so the prop department bought a bunch That's of them, awesome. tore them apart, and then reconfigured them into new, more futuristic-looking containment units that was everybody's little, uh, basically, around... It was their around-the-house function it was yeah. like an iphone yeah so you know it it dimmed the lights it opened doors mm -hmm. Had a essentially what your yeah. your smartphone does now but and know. that that was not cheap for them and to build those time. no i'm sure you know, not probably so good good thing they had a good budget for this show yeah. and, it, and it like i said it shows they've got all these fun cool details and and fun fun gad gadgets and sets and and yet so the, many good miniatures the glass between you and Oblivion is easily broken He's, by a yeah. helmet. <laughs> he had space madness. It was oh right, <laughs> space madness, and those helmets are probably made out of space age space polymers. Metal. That, yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> that they discovered between 1975 and 1999. 99. So, so eventually they figure out that there's something really wrong with Ian McShane and that he's been altered and that he's causing these freezing deaths and right. power drains. Yeah, he's, he's, he's basically trying to well, mainly out of things. Yeah. His girlfriend kind of figures it out because she wants to know what's going on with him, why he's acting so funny, and he doesn't want to talk to her because he's afraid of hurting her. He doesn't know what's going on, mm -hmm. but he just knows he doesn't want to hurt his girlfriend. He's starting to get the feeling, though, that he's the cause of everything. Right. Yeah. He's he's now aware that basically all the people that have died recently have been near him right before they died. Yep. And so he doesn't want the girlfriend to be anywhere near him, and he says, I'm going to go see the doctor, don't worry about it. And then he never shows up to the doctor's office. No, he gets sidetracked by... He, he tries to go to the doctor's office, and then he sees a warm-bodied individual <laughs> walking down a hallway. He's just so hungry. And he's, well, he's cold, because mm -hmm. he's always got the heat he turned needs... up. And she looked warm, and he had to go give her a hug. <laughs> Suck the heat it's, out of her. Now that I'm reflecting on it, this this episode kind of plays out like a vampire story. Yeah, because he's, sure. he's he's stalking people. People are showing up dead. You know, with mm -hmm. right. a weird cause going on. And then he goes through a transformation when they shoot him. Yeah, he, right. He well, runs they, to the reactor. Right, because they realize they finally figure out it's him, and they realize that he's going after power 
and that's what he keeps like doing is because there's brownouts every time someone's killed and mm-hmm. he's looking for power and energy and he's sucking the energy out of people and apparently when you suck the energy out of people it freezes them instantly yeah because who knew heat is energy um, <laughs> Because, you know, heat's part of your energy. Exactly. You needed the heat energy, your life force, all of it. Um, and so they f- figured out that's him, and they do the smart thing to shut down all power in the entire place. Yeah, they try to starve him. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they figure they'll, they'll flush him out, but of course that goes horribly wrong when the girlfriend is worried about him and wants to save him by, you know... <laughs> going towards him for a nice big hug because that works out really well yep and he knows by this point that he's the, he's the cause of stuff so he's you know saying no no get away stop don't come near me right but then he runs he runs to the reactor yes. like right running everything to right go and, get a drink and from they the radiation. they shoot him with the laser because it's like the last resort they're like well we have to kill him mm-hmm. and he doesn't die he just absorbs all the laser energy that's right and he and, gets charred and he, gets, he like, does radiation burn charred his entire body basically with there's with, a giant explosion around him and now he's he's the charamander there charamander. <laughs> and that's he's, not how charamander he has okay. really eerie glowing eyes oh yeah yeah the, no he looks so creepy yeah the, the makeup is just wonderful on him when he after he gets blasted with this laser he's he he, he looks like a charred corpse walking around it's great yeah mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me of i don't think either one of you guys have seen near dark Mm-mm. but there's a scene no, in near dark where that. um Bill Paxton is like crispy crittered. So spoilers for New Dark. <laughs> uh, it's a vampire thing. People I get know. crispy crittered sure. in vampire Sunlight. movies all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it reminded me of that. And yeah. But he's not dead. He's not dead. He's more powerful than ever now. Uh, and he can he can now pry open the reactor doors, which he was not able to do right there. And at I, this point they just let him go. Yeah, they just let him <laughs> They're like screw it. Let him go play in the reactor. Yeah. every Everybody else gets the hell out of there pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Um, he that... gets into the reactor, which I noticed they had a big bank vault door. And yeah. I, I was wondering, I was like, is that a real, like, did they, what did they, where did they get this big door? Because it, it looks pretty sound. Right. It didn't look like a wood prop or no. foam or anything. It... Like, it looked like maybe they went into a bank. And, like, painted everything white real quick. Yep, and, and, and had this big, big door. <clears throat> Put um, a bunch of really bright lights inside. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this show that I was constantly impressed by. It's like, yeah, that... whoever did the set design mm-hmm. really went all out. Like, I think that's where a lot of their budget went, mm-hmm. the set design. I was reading that um, one of the set designers, uh, he made miniatures, and I can't remember his name, but I, I, I read this briefly on a, a blog post somewhere about this show, um, that he made the set in miniature and he made it modular so that he could move the sets around and make things look organic. And that's how they got the effect of having the rooms um, oh, right. cool. yeah, staged like they were. Yeah, because there's definitely some like rooms and scenes where they, will, they had like a blue screen or they might have been doing a projection. I don't mm-hmm. know, it's... TV did a lot of older stuff, even though blue screens were, you know, available at that time. But it's like, 
you see out a door and then out the door you see a hallway then you see a window and then out the window you see like spaceships landing you Mm -hmm, know and everything mm -hmm. and it's like so they were really going all out to make it really look like they were on uh moon base alpha yeah yeah it kind of feels like they took a cinematic approach to this um do you want to so well, finish the episode. Yeah, finish the episode. Like, yeah. So he crawls into the nuclear reactor, as you do when you're starved for energy. Um, and then we Red Bull won't find out. It. Yeah, we find out that uh, so the nuclear reactor has its surge, and then the blue light comes back. It was the blue light the whole time. Yeah, not not before they blow the hell out of that nuclear reactor. Right. We get to see the moon base. Yet another chunk of the moon <laughs> yeah, base just... explodes. Exactly. And it's like, how big is this moon base? They just keep <laughs> blowing up chunks of it. And how is everybody not dead? Also, like, he killed several people. Yeah, like three or four people yeah. he murdered. Um, I didn't do a body count, but there's no. at least three. Also, did someone die in the explosion, possibly? <laughs> it was a really you big think, explosion. You would think. They're like technicians monitoring But I mean, area. that also blew up a section beside, you know, it was a large building yeah. that they blew up. And I just wonder, like, how big is Moonbase Alpha that they can just keep blowing up sections of well, it. Well, they they did say that it was a moon city, right? It's yeah. it's you know they were yeah they refer to big. it like that. Yeah. It's becoming less of a city every day. Yeah. <laughs> More craters. Every on the moon. episode, they lose another chunk it's of their be city. The moon village of pretty Alpha. soon yeah. it's just gonna be like the moon room <laughs> and there's gonna be 300 people apparently 300, still in one room. An inexhaustible supply of red shirts. Oh yeah. man! But yeah, after after they blow up the um, the reactor room, you see the blue entity that started the episode off. It just leaves. It just leaves. <laughs> it wanders back off into space. And they look at it and they go, "What was it?" And they go, "Who knows? Who knows?" <laughs> but it's but it's uh, we've served its purpose. <laughs> and it's and gone. It's gone. <laughs> Basically, they just survived. Mm-hmm. Which is what happens when you don't have an atmosphere or some kind of force field generated around your area. They they survive the blue entity's pit stop to pick up (laughs) a little bit of extra energy for its travels through (laughs) intergalactic uh, uh, touring. Yeah, that orb probably just does that all the time. It's like, you Uh know, it's like a gas station. Yeah, exactly. But this one was mobile and coming towards it, so it was super convenient. Yeah, well, (laughs) it's got its Waze app open. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like... Where is there a wandering moon base? Oh, there's one. I'll hit that one on the way to this one. <laughs> well, it, it, now that I'm well thinking about up. it, yeah, it could be it could be like a, a an interstellar being that feeds on stars or something. And you know, you happen sure. across it while you're moving through space, and it mm-hmm. notices that you're full of nuclear it senses energy. The energy, yeah, like yeah. a star would be, and it's it goes after it. Sure. So they don't they don't imply any of this in the show. I'm. Just, I'm, no, I'm extrapolating all of this. They leave it all up to guessing. We're, yep. write, we're writing our additional fan fiction about <laughs> the blue orb. In fact, I feel like a lot of this show is left to interpretation. Mm-hmm. They're just like, they give you what's happening, and then they're just like, and you can figure out the rest for yourself. I wouldn't say that's to its detriment, though. No. No, I think it's good. So It leaves, you know, the imagination. It's like... Those monster movies are always best when you never see the monster. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
Yeah, so Drew and I originally were um, exposed to this show because we didn't see this in like syndication growing up or anything and we weren't alive when it first aired. Um, but we originally learned of this show uh, through the Hollywood Theater. So, you know, take a drink for that, I guess, because we've got a bunch of Star Wars references and then the Hollywood Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a, a series that they do called uh, Rerun Theater. And they will sometimes show episodes of older television shows. And it's usually genre stuff like sci-fi or horror. And they showed this, an episode of this uh, series, along with an episode of UFO, which was the precursor series to this. Like, most of the same people worked on UFO. Um, I'm not 100%. I've just seen one episode, so I couldn't tell you the exact premise of that series. But I do think that's one we're going to visit in the future because yeah. it's it's a fun one and I really like the style of this this production team I like what uh, Jerry and Sylvia Anderson were creating and I think sure. I think this and also um, Thunderbirds would be fun episodes oh yeah for future, future Davenport but yeah so we <laughs> saw the two episodes and it just kind of like was always in the back of our mind and then space show 1999 showed up on Amazon Prime and we we're like oh let's watch this. Mm-hmm. I remember liking this and, and we really enjoyed it from the get go. And it was fun to get to show it, show it to Andy. Yeah. I was, I, I was thoroughly impressed by it. It's uh, I've been, we've been on a star Trek kick over in my apartment. Nice. Yeah. So we've been watching the original series and next generation again. And this, this I, fits nicely with the theme. Are you guys excited about the new Picard series coming up? I'm uh, I'm cautiously optimistic sure, about it. Sure, I understand. Star Trek Discovery, the current series, is uh, not great. Um, oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, and it's uh, it 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 feels like a big dumb action movie as opposed to like a Star Trek show. I'm wondering if any of the same people are involved with this series that's starting. Oh, I think it's on an eight. CBS All Access? Yeah, that? I think it's yeah. CBS All Access. Which is kind of annoying because that's why we never watched all of the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, guys, because mm-hmm. there's, you can only stream so many channels yeah. and then it just becomes like an expensive cable subscription. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking Discovery too hard if it, if it's your jam, you know, if you like it, I'm not saying you can't like it. Um, but it wasn't for me because I, I personally like the next generation style, uh, you know, the more cerebral Star Trek Same. a little bit more. Um, and I'm hopeful that that is what Picard is like. Um, although I have to give a shout out to the Orville, which is Seth MacFarlane oh, yeah, cosplaying right. at, at Star Trek. I actually was super curious about that. And then what's another, we were just talking about a space series. Oh, Hugh Laurie is in a space yeah, series. Yeah, he's like the captain of a space cruise ship. Yeah, that's on coming out on HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we don't have a subscription to that either but i might have to do a trial and just binge watch that because yeah. that sounds really good and then we're talking about a bunch, of, a bunch of new stuff but i think it ties in with our theme well yeah so. it's it uh, um it fits thematically um, yeah so i'm i'm hopeful to answer your question but this this show will provide a, a, a nice interim because this the first season at least seemed like it was slower um not necessarily as as cerebral as star trek is but it had similar pacing well, I definitely want to continue on with this. Let's let's talk a little bit. Okay, so we we're not like going in depth in the second season, and, and I think at least for Drew and myself, our intention is to complete 
season one of Space 1999 and then move into season two. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did take a peek at the first episode of season two because um, in doing some of our research, we learned that there's some significant changes. Uh, There was the loss of a major um, character who was very prominent in the first series. He was played by Barry Morse. Yeah, he he had an opening title scene. Exactly. Like, I would have said for the the whole series, I didn't list him as a star of the show just because he's only a star of the first season, (laughs) but he really is, like, there's kind of a trinity of characters, and he's kind of the third person, and they're all sort of seen as, like, the leaders of the group. Like, they're the people that... They get consulted of, in every episode. Because mm-hmm. there's um, Landau and there's Barbara, Barbara Bain. Bain. Like, they always seem to be... Like, you can't just have them arguing back and forth on one mm-hmm. side of a coin or the other. So having him as a third meant that there was always two against one. Mm-hmm. So, like, he always went with one or the other, or, you know, they mm-hmm. went together and he was the one odd one out. So having a third was always, like, made all the episodes great because there was always seemed to be two people that were for one thing and one person that was like, no, I'm going to go AWOL. And the lone wolf attitude pretty much always was the right one. It kind of had that format. Depending mm-hmm. on which character was Right, whoever that. was the one that was like, no, I have to stick to my guns and I'm going to betray you guys because that's what needs to be done. Well, and, and it kind of adds that element because, you know, you have you have Star Trek where you have you know, you have Spock and Kirk and McCoy, and so you yeah. have that nice dynamic here as well. And I so Barry Morse is the Spock character. I think he kind of is, and I think it's too bad that they didn't bring him back for the second season. As far as we could tell, it just sounded like they were trying to have so young, was... more young actors to be more exciting. Right. They, were they had to... a new producer, mm-hmm. and I'm forgetting his name right now. They also had a smaller budget for the second so season. So the new producer cut the budget, cut, made all the sets change to be smaller and more space-like, and have more colors on the sets, and he changed the theme music, which is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Because of the original first season theme music is freaking amazing. Which Fantastic. we played earlier in this episode, so you get a sampling of that. And um, it's so, it's just so, it's so energetic, it's fun, it's got kind of a disco vibe, which seems perfect to me for when right. the show mm-hmm. came out. I mean, who doesn't love space disco? And apparently <laughs> uh, he uh, shortly... Uh, before his death, he went on a stage to try to, ex- at a convention, like a sci-fi convention, went on a stage to try to explain to people why he did his changes and say that they were needed and they needed to be done, and he was booed off stage. Oh. Well, the the sets get smaller, the, the interiors are less expansive, and they add a lot more color to both the uniforms and the interiors of the sets. Yeah, there were a lot more blinking tell. lights and consoles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. went more for uh, action sequences, apparently. So more action-packed episodes and less cerebral uh, thinking about like different uh, entities out in space that you could come across and... Mm-hmm. And reasoning with people and diversity, basically. Because <laughs> you could say that this that 
season one episodes have some slower pacing, but I think if you're a fan of the original Star Trek and you haven't seen this show before, that you're going to be just fine because it's very similar in that there's a lot of kind of philosophical discussion as they try to solve problems in right. each episode. And I think, I think that, you know, somebody who's familiar and accustomed to older sci-fi and speculative fiction isn't going to have any problem with the pacing. And I think it was just, you know, some producers are like, we need a younger skewing audience and money, money, <laughs> money, and let's pep it up a little and sex it up more. We don't have anybody that, you know, is is 19 years old in the major cast, so let's get a new hot young alien chicken here or whatever. And I, they do. Yeah. And, and how. Yeah, they got, ri- they got rid of, you know, the older gentleman who was a great character who mm. I really enjoyed. And I, I have no problem with him bringing in younger characters. It's just like, well, couldn't you have had both? You could have. Right? They could have. You could have just added more characters. I mean, they yeah. kept killing people, so it makes sense that you would need to bring in some <laughs> aliens onto the crew to come cohabitate because they mm-hmm. got this moon base. So. Yeah. And it's a shame they didn't make Brian Blessed a part of the, the, the cast, but he had to play the villain in the episode we watched. So. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that, though. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's so fun. Yeah. Do we want to get into that episode a little bit, or well, maybe save it for... I think I want to save covering any season two stuff for a later episode, and I would like to come back to this to this series. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. And I want to give I a shout out to a um, friend of the show, Peter, uh, who is a big Space 1999 fan, um, and he... Peter of? Peter of Retro Movie Geek, and also Forgotten Flicks. He did a lot of reviews and which Allison's now a nope. Oh, you're getting it wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Let me finish. <laughs> anyway, so um, so I'll get to the announcements for that a little sure. bit later. But um, Retro Movie Geek was formerly Forgotten Flicks, but the site still exists, and you can listen to old episodes and read some of Peter's excellent reviews. And I'm a big fan of that show. I started listening when it was Forgotten Flicks, plowed my way through that, and then I've uh, been a fan of Retro Movie Geek and now have a fun connection to that show, which I'll get into when we close out. So, <laughs> But yeah, any other thoughts on Space 1999? It's a little awkward to say, isn't it? Space, Space 1999. Like, you feel like you have to say it in a really, you know, projected, grand manner. You gotta pretend you're like Matt Berry and you're right. gonna... Walking in there and be like, Space 1999. Damn these electric sex pens. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Matt Berry. Oh. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> nope. I, uh... Matt Berry as. We were discussing the other day that all Matt Berry roles were probably brought, were created when somebody said, you know, it'd be hilarious if Matt Berry was. <laughs> If Matt Barry was was the head of an executive firm, that would be hilarious. If Matt Barry was a doctor, that would be hilarious. It's not, it's not young enough for us to cover. I don't. Yeah, but I really wish we could just talk about Gareth Marenghi's Dark Place. Oh yeah. Just, when did that come out? Was, uh, I want to say in like. It's not twenty years old, which is no, our cutoff. I'll say two thousand eight. Yeah. I think. So, so you got a ways to. Get to that, or 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 may just have to break the rule and have a bonus episode at some point because it's it's made to imitate retro, sure. retro horror and it's sci-fi. It's made to look like it came from and the also early soap 80s, operas. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And I think that is excellent. So yeah, if anybody 
doesn't have any other. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about? What's we that? didn't talk about the fact that Stanley Kubrick tried to sue these guys <laughs> over the stylistic similarities to 2001 A Space Odyssey. I just right. want to just mention has, that before we wrap up. It has a 2001 Space Odyssey quote-unquote feel to it. Yeah, like was you can't... feel or was it look? look? I don't remember. But either yeah. one is not... Unless they ripped off actual set design and copied it outright, he has... He did not have a leg to stand on. I just think that's such an asshole thing to do. Sorry, I'm cursing. But <laughs> but yeah, Stanley Kubrick, no. I never said there was no cursing on this show. I, I try <laughs> not to. We do not have an explicit tag sure. on Apple Podcasts. So let's, you know, I think they let you get in a, a little one now and then. You know, sure. like the MMPA, you're allowed, you know, three F-bombs a movie or something. <laughs> that's just it has one F-bomb. Oh, is it just one? One F-bomb that's well, really that harsh. was a few years ago. Well, that's to get PG-13. Right, 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 right. You can so, say it once. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like explicit is more like rated R, like if that's yeah. your tag yeah. on your podcast. Totally. But... No, this is this is a family-friendly Davenport. Mostly family-friendly. Mostly family-friendly. Your right, kids are going to well... be bored listening to us anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't... And they're not going to get any of the references. I'm pretty sure only adults listen to us unless children wander into the room randomly and then they're like, what is this? I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> hey, ki- kids have... kids What's have Davenport? We live in the era of children with smartphones. It's possible. Right. It's true. You never know. <laughs> I know Horror Movie Podcast has some younger listeners, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool, but I, I adore that podcast. I don't aspire to be that cool right well they cover <laughs> not new stuff us. too exactly i don't think your average kid is going to be like i want to watch that show from the 70s about the 90s <laughs> although i want to meet that kid because that kid sounds right? awesome yeah. <laughs> kid's totally so awesome. if you're out there we love yeah, you already let's watch space 1999 again <laughs> don't make him sound like in a mocking tone <laughs> That's just a kid voice. That's the not mocking. First one star review. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Space. I'm sorry. That's my best kid voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you maybe you know you get some some younger Tim Burton fan that watched Ed Wood and they're like, I need to see everything Martin Lando ever did, there and they might go. come across mm-hmm. this. So. Anyway, uh, you never know what I rabbit think... holes you go down on the internet. Oh. oh and sometimes you don't want to know. Sure. So that's that's our first foray into space, 1999. There we go. How's that? Um, and I think uh, let's see. As we wrap up, does anybody have anything they want to share that's related to our show or related to sci-fi or horror? Any sci-fi thoughts? or horror? Yeah, or just anything you want to uh, share before we go. Space 1999. Uh, for people that work in bars. N- 1999 is now the age of people being born that can legally drink. Oh, oh man. now I feel so old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do. Also, I'm going to post it on our Haunted Davenport uh, website. I'll post in the show notes a photo of our awesome... We we found the soundtrack to this show on, uh, on record, so right. we now have a copy of the record soundtrack for the show or vinyl i don't know vinyl always sounds a little pretentious to me but on vinyl we have it um and it's the lp then it has the great funky disco theme from the first season the it's good got season really great cover art and we also theme. managed to find a novelization paperback of one of the episodes <laughs> so we've got it's funny we've never we've never covered a show before that we actually have like 
you know, some souvenir fun bric-a-brac of the show in sure. our in our vintage collection. Other of, than Star of Trek. Stuff. Well, Star Trek. We've got some Star Trek stuff around the house. Yeah. We've got, got a little, some novelizations. Sure, and, we've got a little Captain Kirk action figure. Yeah. Right now, he's attacking a Guinness, a miniature Guinness bottle, but the Guinness bottle is like two-thirds his height, so it's hilarious. Because he has <laughs> phaser pointed at it, like he's trying to figure out how to crack it open. I'm sure Captain <laughs> Kirk would enjoy some Guinness. <laughs> he would. <laughs> so, Got anyway. Got um, Scotty's hands. We, uh, <laughs> next month, I think we're going to uh, tackle... The uh, 1975 Elizabeth Montgomery Lizzie Borden film, and I don't have it confirmed yet, but I think we're gonna have a guest for that one. So stay tuned in February. Um, let's see. Uh, I think. Oh, so the thing I was gonna share, based on uh, uh, Retro Movie Geek, our friends Joel and Peter and Daryl on that excellent podcast have a spinoff show where they discuss made-for-TV horror and suspense films. It's called Terror on the Tube. Um, Daryl's not on it, but Joel and Peter are, and they recently enjoyed... Uh, enjoyed? They recently <laughs> invited me to join them as a co-host. So um, I was a guest on an episode, uh, I think three episodes back, and I um, then came back again for uh, the December episode, and we just recorded an episode today, actually, that'll come out in February, I believe. Um, might be getting my timelines jumbled on that, but um, I am now officially on two podcasts, so if you're not totally sick of my voice, you can check me out with those guys over at Terror on the Tube, and I'll be talking more retro television horror. We just covered a movie from 1972 with Sally, or Sally Field. I don't know why I said Sandra that. Sandra Dee. No, no, it's not Sandra Dee. <laughs> no, Patty Duke. Patty Duke. <laughs> Patty Duke stars in 1972's She Waits, and we just watched and covered that. And uh, let's see, um, if you're oh, into that much. and you're playing catch-up, there's lots of other good episodes. I'm on a couple more of the past episodes, and I'll be on more in the future. Um, so look for that. That's going to be coming out about once a month, and I'll put a link in our show notes for this show so you can check that show out as well um other than that we're just gonna keep on plugging along we're back and we've got lots of fun stuff planned this year and oh yeah for those of you who've been longtime listeners thank you thank you for the kind words about chris thank you for sticking with us and thank you for um understanding when we took a six-month hiatus we really appreciate your lis listenership and uh, your support of this show so See you next time. Yeah, without further ado, see you next time when we come back from space. 1999. <laughs>